Previously on Hound Radio's Arch Campbell podcast. I am in the midst of post-series depression after embracing Mayor of Easttown with Kate Winslet. And I liked it so much that after I watched it in real time, I re-binged it from the beginning to the end. And now that I'm in this depressed state, what is there to watch after Mayor? The Arch Campbell podcast featuring Arch, Lou Katz, and a cast of thousands begins now. And uh, here we are with radio legend and our podcast producer, Lou Katz. Hello, Lou. Happy summer to you, buddy. And also our good friend from Gold Derby, the former chief film critic of USA Today, Susan Guzena, and one of my favorite people is here today. Hello, Susan. Hello. <laughs> I have a cold, a summer cold. So oh, my. Your first see. cold since uh, coming out of quarantine? Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> I guess we can all look forward to that, I guess. Yeah. So, so the whole question is, uh, what are you watching? Well, have you heard of This Is Pop? No, no. What is It's that? on Netflix. It's yeah. Canadian import. And it's, if you cared about the 80s at all, mm-hmm. you know, there's a certain segments. It starts off with boy bands in the 90s. It goes to <laughs> with boys to men, if you remember them. Mm-hmm. And a, a great wave of boy bands all dressed differently <laughs> singing came out. And there's another segment on auto-tune. And if you remember the share song, I Believe. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I believe. You're right, right, <laughs> that... right. Like a robotic voice, right? <laughs> and then one that I enjoy the most, because I love ABBA, is uh-huh. Stockholm Syndrome, because all these Swedish <laughs> guys suddenly became the center of the pop universe because they knew how to get these catchy tunes out there. When someone from a little country like Sweden have worldwide success with what they do, it makes everyone understand, well, if they can do it, we can do it. You remember Taco? Wasn't he Swedish? Maybe. I don't know. Taco. He didn't come up there. <laughs> they didn't use Taco. No. Remember, it, he, it, he did a pop version of Putting on the Ritz. That's right. I remember that. Yeah. And I was always taken by his name, Taco, Taco. And I think he was Swedish. Is this a series or a movie? It's eight episodes. Mm. It's not a movie. Wow. And they also wow. do Blur versus Oasis, how country music got went pop, mm-hmm. music festivals, the Brill Building, which have you ever gone to New York and seen a movie in the Brill Building? I have not seen a movie in the Brill Building, yeah, but I'm certain Woody Allen would use it for his screening. So, and I always thought, and this is a little gross. I every time I went to the lazy room, I thought, did Carol King sit in here? <laughs> <laughs> and she might have. So, <laughs> or did she go up on the roof? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I certainly know the Brill Building. And what an interesting way to start, because uh, we both have seen uh, The Summer of Soul, which uh, is one of my favorite movies this year. Yes. What a home run. And 
it's a little funny because Lynn Miranda is, you know, speaking about, and this is what in what in the Heights should have been, you know, <laughs> and it was, you know, he, it, it's fine. He gets a pass for me, but, you know, it was sort of interesting to see, you know, all the different types of, you know, black people with all this wonderful mix of sounds and everything. And, you know, it was funny because, you know, you think of Woodstock, which was happening at the same mm -hmm. time and everybody was hippie garbed and all that. These people put on like a Broadway show each performance practice practically. So yeah, Summer of Soul, which is on Hulu, as I could figure out, uh, was the result of the city of New York and a promoter in 1969 deciding to have a weekly music festival at a park in Harlem. And it looked like as many as 50,000 people would show up every weekend. And since this was 1969, one of the ideas was not to, you know, in the 60s, there were uh, racial riots uh, in summer, and this was one way to cool down the city. Another thing is it tapped right into the emerging performers of the late 60s, including uh, Stevie Wonder. And there's a great segment with uh, The Fifth Dimension, yes. where uh, Marilyn McCoo and her, uh, I guess he's her, her partner her and husband. Husband, husband. yeah. They, uh, uh, today, 50 years later, look back at the footage of them in the 60s. Right. And it's just, uh, and they, they start crying. Right. Some of the performers, uh, when they look back at the footage, they cry. My wife and I watched it well past our um, bedtime, and uh, she kind of captured it. She said, Summer of Soul was about civil rights, and Woodstock, which happened at the same time, was about Vietnam. Right. And they were on two parallel tracks and Woodstock got all the attention and Summer of Soul, which they had hoped to uh, syndicate as a special, never got picked up. And now seeing it in the historic context, it's just uh, it's just an out of the park home run. I, I just I thought it was terrific. You need Simone oh. alone. <laughs> oh, oh, my God. God, <laughs> I recently said there was there is a documentary. Yeah, she was right. Yeah. On Nina Simone that I would highly recommend. Yeah. What what is what's that called? What's next? Mrs. Ms. Simone. Yeah. Yeah. I saw Nina Simone at the Austin Jazz Festival in 1968, and I don't think I knew what I was seeing at the right. time. She was she uh, she alone uh, is certainly worth uh, watching Summer of Soul. It's, it's one of my favorites, and I'm glad you mentioned it as something you're watching, too. Ain't got no home, ain't got no shoes, ain't got no money, ain't got no class, ain't got no friends, ain't got no schooling, ain't got no work, ain't got no job, ain't got no money, no place to stay. What else are you seeing? Well. No Sudden Move, which just came out of the blue for me, another Steven Sonnenberg 
<laughs> it has this great cast. Although Don the women, Cheadle. Yeah, and um, Nizio Tol Toro. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And a surprise person popping up at the end. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and the thing was, I kind of liked it, but it was so, so many things going on. It was, it never had the snap or kind of energy I wanted it to have, you know, but he wanted to keep, it was two hours. Yeah. And it, it, it kept going and going in pieces and pieces and pieces. And I didn't, I, I was entertained enough, but it just, lack a certain energy for me when you're going to pull a heist you know like oceans 11 or mm -hmm, whatever mm -hmm. there should be something more there but it was then i i was surprised it was based on a true story oh and i didn't know that because if you did you fall asleep before they said at the end that it was has something to do with um oh the catalytic convert right right it's which is sort of a, a MacGuffin for the whole thing. Right. There, there's a document and uh, a group of criminals are conspiring to steal the document and a group of uh, white collar uh, industrialists are conspiring to get the document back. We're sending a man that works in an office to pick something up. You are part of a babysitting team watching his family while he does it. And it's almost not about the document. No, it's but it not. is about right. The it is a MacGuffin, but it is about it. And the money keeps rising and rising uh -huh. in stakes. You know, it's like very weird. I couldn't keep track of what it money reminds was being me changed. of the real classic stuff from the uh, 40s and 50s, like yeah. Kansas City Confidential. Yeah. Uh, or even uh, reservoir dogs, right? And and it is quite complicated. And well, this is the know, thing you have to just sit back and take it in because if you try to connect all the dots, maybe it won't connect. I don't know. Netflix movie, and I think this is one of those that would have been better in a theater. Yeah, I do too. And uh, you know, that's my. Uh, uh, criticism of in the heights i watched it at home and yeah. i think it would have been better in a theater right but i'm not i have not gone back to theater shit you know where are we in the world of entertainment anyway <laughs> i don't know because the movies that are in theaters and i think you know you're gonna kind of touch on this mm -hmm. you know in another segment but they're rehashing everything. They're not really, you know, they're doing sequels and remakes and things like that. And it's not quite up to par with originality yet. I mean, something might come out of can. I'm a little scared of Steven Spielberg's West Side Story. I mean, I hope it's good, but how can you compete with the first one? You know? Yeah, yeah. And it's going to be interesting when that comes out, too. Here's what I'm noticing. Uh, I think I have read that we now have 20% fewer movie theaters than we had before the virus. You're right. And, you know, there are three mega hits out right now. Uh, Quiet Place 2 and right. F9. 
and I guess Cruella is the uh, third one. Well, the, well no, the, the Quiet Place. Too. Quiet Place is. Did you is, say that? Yeah. yeah. Uh, but the box office is down about 80 percent. Wow. And I think the the conversation about movies is down about 80 percent. So I don't know where we're going with this. It just seems like we're in this. I'm I just every week I just try to figure out where the hell are. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think TV shows tend to be a little more creative now. Mm-hmm. then mayor um, just still has everybody's attention oh yeah so uh you watch cruella what's yes. your what's your take on cruella well i love punk rock sensibility and all uh, that so uh, i i kind of enjoyed it i liked the tunes and everything and i it was like over two hours which was ridiculous but <laughs> i think i did enjoy emma versus emma yeah. <laughs> I think it was just fun to watch the two go at each other. And it, you know, the the fashion designs were over the top wonderful. So yeah, I don't think it's a great movie, but it it entertained me in a way that was unusual and it was very female forward, which I appreciated. You know, in a minute, uh, we're gonna feature an interview with uh Georgetown University film professor Caitlin Benson Allen. And she wrote an essay, which I'm sure you saw, saying she went back to the theaters and discovered that all the movies now are these corporate cinemas. And on the screen, everything is a sequel or somebody in spandex. (laughs) (laughs) How does that strike you? It is disappointing that now that we can go to theaters, what's there is a lot of recycled business so last time we uh did this podcast jason freely was on and talked about luca uh yeah. another disney uh piece and talked fondly you saw it as well oh yeah yeah <laughs> i wouldn't say it was you know it's a lot of underwater things because it's two boy sea monsters who decide to go up and be human and <laughs> But whenever they get splashed, they start turning back into sea monsters. (laughs) It's very cute. I wouldn't say it was as good as Finding Nemo or The Little Mermaid, but it Mm. did keep me very entertained. And it has these little Easter eggs of posters from the time period, because it's in the 50s from Italian cinema. It, It sounds crazy that they have a marathon and they have to ride bikes. So when they go through all that process, you see posters hanging and you go, oh, it's Roman holiday. Oh, it's <laughs> the creature from the Black Lagoon. <laughs> so it, it, it's very clever. And it, 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 I think, you know, most people would probably find some enjoyment in that too. Wow. So I got an email from our listener who is, uh, let's see, Mark Weinberg is in Fort Pierce, Florida. And he says, um, I'm not in the spandex wearing or spandex movie watching business. Since you're looking for binge material, may I suggest season seven of Bosch on Amazon Prime? 
And I am a big fan of Bosch. I don't know if you're watching Bosch uh, or not. I don't Titus, even know what it is. <laughs> it's Titus Well Liver, and it's based on uh, novels by Mark Connolly. And it's, uh, you know, he's a, a police detective in Los Angeles. And it's very old L.A. He's always going to Musso and Frank, or you'll see him at the La Brea Tar Pits or at Angel Flight. Well, this is all L.A. The, confidential. So. The planetarium. And uh, and he goes through these uh, various things. And I, I really like it. They've done seven seasons. And uh, now they're about to start a sequel with uh, Bosch and his young daughter who become private detectives. Uh, somebody said it's like uh, Dragnet if it was contemporary. And uh, I, I like that. So I kind of, uh, I recommend Bosch because I'm still, you know, I'm, uh, I'm grieving. Mayor of Easttown is over. And I know. I nothing to obsess about. <laughs> so, well, I, I talked about the essay that got my attention, uh, written by Georgetown University film professor Caitlin Benson Allett. She's, uh, I hope, a new friend of this podcast. And let's introduce her ideas to our audience. It's wonderful to be here, Arch, and thank you so much for your kind words about the essay. Well, I think like a lot of us, um, I spent the pandemic, the lockdown, um, just sort of hoping to get back to normal, right? Hoping to, um, to get to revisit all of those public pleasures that we were having to sacrifice for, uh, for the good of public health. And so I was sort of surprised to find that when I actually got to go back to the theater, going back, didn't feel good enough anymore. Mm -hmm. um, we've been through a lot in the last yeah. 15 months. And so, so simply returning to a beloved pastime um, felt like it wasn't quite acknowledging the challenges and the opportunities of this era. And that's why I say in the piece that going back to the cinema felt like going to a sequel. <laughs> Uh, one thing that caught my attention is uh, your reference to theaters as corporate multiplexes. <laughs> and uh, the, the theaters that have reopened are the big ones, uh, many of them in shopping malls, 12, 14, 20 screens. They feel like McDonald's to me. I miss that special <laughs> place uh, we used to go to. Uh, What's your thought on that? Well, I think there have been um, a number of challenges, but also, you know, um, appropriate cautions that have kept the independent theaters from opening as quickly as the multiplexes. Um, the multiplexes, you know, as global corporations uh, have more financing available to them mm -hmm. to do the kind of upgrades in, um, in air filtration and ventilation that are being judiciously required by our legislatures. But also, you know, they may not have been as cautious or as thoughtful about what was the right moment for their community to reopen. So since publishing um, the piece, I've been in conversation with my friend Caitlin McGrath, 
who is the executive director of the Greenbelt Theater outside of Washington, D.C. And she was saying, you know, that it was actually because of their responsiveness to the community that the Greenbelt needed to be slower in reopening, whereas the AMCs and the Regals were uh, more willing to just charge ahead. Well, what got me about it is I'm wondering if where we go affects our experience of a movie. Oh, absolutely. This is actually um, the subject of my new book, The Stuff of Spectatorship, mm -hmm. Material Cultures of Film and Television. The architecture, the, um, the environment, the furnishings, the people, even the food and comestibles mm -hmm. that we surround ourselves with when we're watching a movie change the way we interpret that movie. And so I think that the open um, but underpopulated corporate spaces of these megaplexes were really bringing back that sensation of nothing has changed, right? It felt sort of like mm -hmm. Rocky II, which came out three <laughs> years after Rocky I, but ostensibly begins five minutes before Rocky one closes, right? And you're like, but my right. life has changed. I'm a different person. <laughs> and I, I need my media to, to respond to that with me. <laughs> so uh, recently, F9, the ninth or 10th version of the Fast and the Furious opened and had the biggest opening of the year so far. And is that what we have to look forward to at the movies? Just more, more of the same, more of this, you know, number nine, number 10. Well, so first of all, I have to say, I am a huge fan of the Fast and the Furious movie. <laughs> <laughs> so let's just put that out okay. there. Okay, all right, good, more good. <laughs> that being said, studies have shown that folks seem more likely to spend what are still considerable amounts of money for, for movie theater tickets, the popcorn, et cetera, when there's some kind of familiarity built in. Like I know I liked the previous Fast and the Furious movie, so I'm probably gonna like this one. And I think we're seeing a real risk aversion on the part of exhibitors, but also distributors. Um, they, they want to kind of bank on that familiarity, even if sequels rarely make as much money as the original film, rather than, than taking a shot on something truly original. We're seeing, I think, the more inventive, more imaginative, more unprecedented content still going to streaming because the, the exhibitors and the distributors are hoping that it'll be those old familiar blockbusters, you know, like the, the new Top Gun film uh, that people will want to come out for. I'm wondering if the demographic of going to the movies is shrinking. If uh, going to a cinema now is something that someone uh, in their 20s is more likely to do than uh, someone in my demographic. <laughs> well, it's been a long time since I was in my 20s too. So <laughs> maybe we'll have to ask a, a Gen Zer. But I think we have seen a lot of shifts in the demographics of frequent moviegoers. And this is something that the MPA tracks very carefully. One of the really interesting things is that they've been noticing 
that Latinx Americans mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. are a disproportionate percentage mm -hmm. of frequent moviegoers, which is particularly surprising when you think about how little representation of Latinx Americans we tend to see on right. theaters, right? That's, that's why In the Heights has been such a big deal. So one of the things I pointed out in my essay is that I think that we have a real moment now when the theaters could question past policies of racial profiling or their move away from African-American and Latinx neighborhoods and say, gosh, actually, these are the folks who still want to come to the movies. How do we begin a dialogue with them about our past behavior and our future collaborations? Any thoughts on why that's uh, happening? Why the theaters um, aren't having these conversations or why no, they... Uh, why uh, uh, Latin Americans are more attracted to uh, cinema these days? That's a really good question. Studies, have, studies haven't really found a cause. Mm. Um, they have posited that Latinx Americans are more likely to go in family groups. Um, so that instead of like, you know, me, a, a middle-class mm. white mm -hmm. American yeah, going to yeah. the movie all by myself, folks are going as a family, which means, you know, to be crass about it, more butts and seats, which is uh, actually the theme of Cinema Week last week. <laughs> a recent essay I read discussed the end of the, uh, of the widely watched television or streaming show that uh, it cited a mayor of Easttown which got four million viewers, and I'm wondering if we're we're kind of on a parallel uh, uh, track here of uh, shows that that attract uh, a, a few people on streaming, and uh, these sequels that go for the uh, widest demographic in films. I think that it's a really interesting phenomenon what we've seen with streaming over the past twenty years. Um, this era that folks call peak TV. Mm -hmm. Or peak means great, right? What also yeah, could be called yeah. the second golden era of television, but also peak production, right? 2019 had the most scripted television series available on one platform or another than ever before. And so when you have that much competition among producers, you're going to have to start targeting niche audiences, right? You're going to have to um, look to get a specific demographic as opposed to, to getting everyone. The theaters, I think, are going in the other direction right now, right? They're trying to make sure that everyone feels called to see uh, Top Gun Maverick or F9, that they can create a cultural event for all Americans, in air quotes there, <laughs> as opposed to trying to solicit a smaller group that would really care about a particular kind of character or storytelling. So is this our future of movies? And, and you know, as we talk, I'm thinking there was a time when The Fast and Furious was something new and creative, and there was a time when Top Gun was something new and creative, and are we ever going to get anything new and creative again? I think we are going to, but I think we have to ask for it, 
right? And by that, mm -hmm. I mean, we, we vote with our wallets. Um, if folks feel satisfied with um, Top Gun Maverick and F9, that's great. I'll be a minority voice. <laughs> but if we want original stories, we may need to still be sticking with virtual cinema or asking um, our local exhibitors to find and, and show those offbeat films that we're craving. What are you watching for fun? <laughs> that is that is a, a fair question? <laughs> sure, absolutely. <laughs> um, right now I'm watching Physical, which is on Apple TV and stars mm. uh, Rose Byrne as um, a woman who is embracing the 1980s aerobics movement. <laughs> We're getting some hints that she's gonna be sort of a Jane Fonda's workout kind of star. I've been doing aerobics classes. You should check it, you might like it. And after just one class, you can feel it happening. You becoming you again. I'm really enjoying the voiceover there. I think a lot of uh, women will relate to the kind of negative self-talk that's actually getting to be the voiceover for this character. So I, I've loved that. And I have also uh, been re-watching Schitt's Creek. That was truly my pandemic peak TV that that kept me kept me going uh, when the world seemed like a dark and unfriendly place. Well, as a professor of film, are the movies in a different place now in our world than uh, even before uh, COVID? One of the things that I've really noticed is that um, in talking to my students, they don't relate to the two or two and a half hour narrative chunk that is mm -hmm. a feature film yeah. the way we do. They're used to content coming in much smaller units and over a longer span of time, right? So they're used to binging, whether it's binging TikTok mm -hmm. or binging a series. And so I've really tried to, to talk to folks about storytelling, right? And one of the things that yeah. fascinates me about a movie is that it's a coherent and defined block of story. Whereas a television series, right, the ending may not have been pre-written when the series started production. There isn't always a narrative goal in mind. Some people like that open-ended world. My st students certainly seem to. I like the idea of a beginning, a middle, and an end, and maybe that makes me out of touch. <laughs> Is it that we just, we can't sit still that long anymore? <laughs> You know, it's an interesting question because people are sitting still for binge watching for mm. hours on end, right? Like I have, I know folks who will watch Friends like over and over and over again, many, many hours of Friends without getting up off the couch. So we can do it, but our intention is being engaged in a really different way. I sort of think it's a different kind of escapism, actually that we wanna go off and be in a whole different world, a sense of a fictional universe that we can visit and participate in. Whereas a two hour movie, you know, when you reach the end of the hour, the second hour, that's it, you can start it over, but there's not more story, more life, more universe out there waiting for you. Mm, wow. What do you like these days? What have you seen that you really like? What have I seen that I really liked? It's okay to say nothing. 
<laughs> oh gosh um i don't want to say nothing but i'm having to rack my brain a little bit. <laughs> that may be saying something right there uh, i i hope you'll come back on this podcast because i think you have a great handle on what's going on and i think our world of media and movies is changing right before our eyes I couldn't agree with you more, and I love talking with you. I'd be happy to come back anytime. Thank you so much, Professor Caitlin Benson Allen of Georgetown University and uh, our, our new best friend. <laughs> <laughs> hey, thanks so much for this. Thank, Thank you absolutely. for doing this. Yeah, Did my you, pleasure. I meant, I, meant uh, to, I meant to ask you a, a question. I assume that your classes have all been Zoom, right? Or are they back on campus yet at, at Georgetown? Um, so I'm not teaching this summer, but Georgetown is back in person as of this summer, and I'll be back in person in the fall. But, but it was 100% Zoom last year. How did you find that? Did you find that affected how you, you did course planning and things like that? or? Yeah, I mean, it really did. I found that it was, um, there were certain kinds of conversations about like history in particular that worked really well and other kinds of conversations about say like watching a clip together that was just so much harder. Like I used to, you know, I'd have a big screen and we'd all watch a scene together and then pause it in the dark and analyze the image. And there was just, no way to do that right. over zoom um and that was kind of heartbreaking <laughs> yeah so i have it definitely has affirmed to me that online teaching it's not bankrupt but it's a really it's just a really different experience it has some things that can be really great at and a lot of things that you just can't do um, so I'm dying to get back in the classroom in September. What kind of response did you get to your essay? I got a lot of comments. Um, I got a lot of comments about like my my throwaway comments about popcorn and uh, calling me out <laughs> for not being very good at making popcorn. Um, but mostly people seem to kind of there was a, a contingent that agreed and really felt like, yeah, we like we have this opportunity to like reset our culture, not mm -hmm, just restart mm -hmm. it. And then there was a contingent that was like more of a love it or leave it. If you don't like it, um, keep your opinions to yourself. Mm -hmm. um, that, you know, that is always out there. I think that's why they tell you not to read the comments. <laughs> Well, you know, I go back to the days when going to the movies uh, meant you could see uh, things and uh, go into subjects that you couldn't see on television. Yeah. So the movies uh, had that uh, that appeal. And now uh, uh, so much is available on streaming that uh, I just I wonder about the position of movies. I mean, I still feel like you get a kind of focus from being in the cinema, right? From having mm -hmm. traveled mm -hmm. to a place, um, you've put away all your devices and all of your senses are being directed towards this screen and these sounds. And, and that I think is really special. I don't know how special it's gonna be for the generations that are coming behind us, you know, who didn't sort of 
see that grow up with that distinction between film and television. Um, but for me, like the focus and the immersion, even when I was rewatching great movies um, on my TV at home during the pandemic, I wasn't as caught up in them as I was when I saw them on the big screen. Yeah, and I'm I'm still not over the closing of the Uptown Theater. I know. Because personally, you know, I attended and covered dozens of events there. Yeah. And uh Yeah. Uh, I I just I'm I I never dreamed that the Uptown could close and nobody care and I know. nobody seems to care. I mean, I think like, you know, the pandemic was if you if you wanted to do it, the pandemic was the time when you could do it without an uproar. Right. I, I actually live near the um, what used to be the landmark West End, you know. Oh, and, yeah. Yeah. Which is yeah. not it's not a glorious oh. theater the way the uptown was. But I miss being able to just look mm -hmm. at my watch, walk out the door and mm -hmm. go see a movie in 10 minutes. You yeah, know? and that owner was uh, was uh, very passionate about that place. Yeah, that's. Uh, it was really sad to lose. And the other day, I heard that AMC took all the equipment out of the uptown. So uh, that's. Wow. Yeah, well, that's wow. what they do. Yeah, no, it's Yikes. true. I'm well, really curious to see when the. Um, Alamo Draft House that's been so long delayed on New York Avenue is finally going to oh. open. Because sometimes my, I have a friend, Justin, who used to be the programmer for um, the Alamo Draft House up in Yonkers. And mm -hmm. they, they mm -hmm. hire some really good progr programmers, right? Some really good talent. He wasn't just doing the new sequel from Hollywood. He had a bunch of revival series mm -hmm. and film mm -hmm. clubs that he set up. So I'm really crossing my fingers <laughs> that they'll get something like Justin at that Alamo when it opens. Uh, I, I went to South by Southwest a couple of years ago and went to the Alamo Draft House on South Lamar in oh, Austin. Yeah. And I think they were, uh, uh, oh gosh, what were they? I think they were screening Sorry to Bother You. And so they showed a, a Spike Jones kinescope beforehand. Oh, cool. And they just jacked the audience up. And it was just, it was the, one of the best experiences I ever had in a cinema. Yeah. So I'm, I'm taking up too much of your time. And it's too much of a guilty pleasure for me to talk <laughs> to you. So Well, let's do this again sometime soon. This was really fun. And now a word from our sponsor and our enabler, Mr. Lou Katz <laughs> of Hound Radio and the Katz Podcasting System. You know, you guys have been talking, obviously, about movies and uh, uh -huh. Snake Eyes, G.I. Joe Origins. I know, Arch, that's the one that's going to push you <laughs> back into the theaters. <laughs> it opens up July 23rd. However... The massive promotional team at Hound Radio has secured uh -huh. free Fandango tickets to that movie, and here's how you can get yours. Just listen. Now that many theaters are open, Hound Radio wants to walk you leash-free to your favorite venue to see the new Paramount movie, Snake Eyes, G.I. Joe Origin. Which boy? Boss wants to see you. Am I in trouble? 
Someone is. They can't change your past. But they can offer you a purpose. I've been following you for some time. Do I know you? I know you. Snake Eyes stars Crazy Rich Asians Henry Golding. We're really starting a new timeline, uh, a new franchise with the G.I. Joe. Um, universe and so to kick it off with such a distinct and stylized film I think it really sets the precedent for follow-up movies win your free Fandango movie tickets when you register now at houndradio.com this summer stay cool in the DMV with tickets to the hottest movies from the popcorn powered hound radio it's time for flashbacks and favorites. So, uh, Susan, uh, you may recall uh, this podcast uh, always throws something that is called flashbacks and favorites. But see, I wish you would tell me the topic before. <laughs> well, you know, it gets a little fuzzy in my head, <laughs> but I'll try. What is your favorite July 4th memory? I made sure I went to see Independence Day on Independence Day. It's the only way to see that movie. And I loved it to death. I, I just thought it was great. But now it's old school because everybody blows everything up now, you know, monuments, whatever. The, the sequel was horrible. And I will tell you that they asked me to go see it they paid me to tell them whether they should allow reviews when it came out and i told them wow no. <laughs> <laughs> and they they paid me well i'm really? not kidding yeah well now that is i had power back then <laughs> <laughs> you still got power with me <laughs> lou what's your favorite july 4th memory well, I was working at, uh, I can't even remember which radio station here in D.C. may have been WPGC or 107.3 or WAV, I can, whatever. But I remember being invited by the Park Service to be at the actual stands where they shoot off the fireworks, where they used to have people and VIPs in the stands. Really? Yes. And I remember all I did, and obviously this is just an audio podcast, you can't see it, but all, we were so close my head was just staring straight up <laughs> to see the fireworks. And I was all excited that this was going to be like the greatest thing since sliced bread, right? And I'm going, yeah. I never want to be this close again because you can't really enjoy them. You couldn't see it. That what it was fire rained down. Oh my gosh! Head. It was it was crazy. I was out, it was uh, like it was like nineteen mid nineteen eighties. But that was my favorite Fourth of July uh, memory. How about you, Arch? Well, uh, you know, I have a couple uh, I, for a little while. And Susan, maybe you got in on this. The uh, Smithsonian American History Museum would invite media people to sit on the balcony of the History Museum and watch the fireworks. And you know, it that was the catbird seat. It was the best view of the fireworks I ever had. But a movie-wise, the thing I remember is the year Ghostbusters came out. And it seemed like I had to go somewhere on July 4th. And every time you turned on the radio, all you heard was the Ghostbusters song. And uh, it was everywhere, Ghostbusters, Ghostbusters. And, and I, that is the thing that I uh, particularly uh, uh, connect to uh, July 4th. And, and, you know, I miss that. I miss uh, that uh, kind of movie that's on media everywhere. Uh, 
And so I hope we get something like that soon. So uh, final word, anybody have a final word for uh, this week? You're looking forward to the Emmy nominations? Yeah, that's coming up uh, next Tuesday, I think, the 13th. Yeah. Um, I think um, The Crown and Mayor of Easttown, I mean, they're going to bail out. And I think... Um, uh, the Queen's Gambit. Yes. I mean, TV is much better than movies now, I think. That is a final word. Yeah. TV is much better than movies now. Did you ever think you'd say that? No. <laughs> <laughs> because TV isn't TV anymore. It's not the networks. It's like you could do much more with, you know, getting away with, you know, without our ratings or whatever, mm -hmm. you know, on TV and show more real things than you can on the networks, So. Lou, chew on that. TV is more than TV, and TV is better than movies. Unbelievable. Who, who would have ever thought, right? <laughs> I know. <laughs> so uh, we'll be back in two weeks, and uh, we'll uh, sift through all the Emmy nominations and what they mean. And Just stay cool and hydrate. Words to live by. This is the Cats Podcasting System, where it's not just a podcast, but a podcast.